Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast with me, Personal Finance Writer Kate Beerley. This week I'm joined by Deputy Personal Finance Editor Leonora Walters and Patrick Connolly, Chartered Financial Planner at Chase Devere. So this week we've got a bit of a bear market special and we're going to be talking about funds which can protect you in a downturn and then think about whether you actually should be seeing downturns as a buying points rather than something negative. And then we're going to take a look at the Allianz Technology Trust and see why that trust has been selling Amazon and Facebook. And finally, we're going to briefly touch on the launch of some new bond ETFs and talk about why that area is growing in popularity. So firstly, this week, we've been talking about the bear market or or bear markets generally and, and what you should be doing and how to keep your head uh, when everything seems to be tanking. So I've had a look at some funds that you could use in this context. Now, the first obvious port of call, particularly for open-ended funds, is the absolute return sector. And these are funds which are designed to protect you from, from losing capital in a downturn. So, Patrick, can you tell us a bit more about this sector and what it is and how does it work and how do the funds do what they do? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting sector. I, I mean, it was previously called Absolute Return. It's changed its name to Targeted Absolute Return now because there was a perception that it would always give a positive return. And the idea of the funds is, in theory at least, they're supposed to give a positive return in all market environments. In reality, that's not always the case. In reality, there is a reasonable correlation with equity markets a lot of the time. They won't go up and down as much as equity markets, but but they often move in the same direction. Within the sector, there are a whole range of funds which adopt different approaches. Um, some of them will, will take hedge strategies. They'll go long short. They'll do pair trading. And, and what does that mean just for someone who's never heard of a pair trade, for example? Um, essentially, just picking one investment or asset class or currency to outperform another. So, for example, they might pick BP to outperform Shell, for example, or the US dollar to outperform the Canadian dollar. And the so, idea being that's kind of market neutral. Then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so there are different approaches. Some of the funds in the sector are simply multi-asset funds, just very diversified multi-asset funds. So they'll use different approaches. The overall aim, though, is to produce a return that's positive in all environments. Okay, but many people don't actually like these or they have a bit of a bad rep. Um, And I think that's partly because some of them don't have a very long track record. So the argument is, you know, actually the the fees are... Some on some cases high relative to other funds, and it hasn't been long enough to really prove their metal. I mean, what, what would you yeah. say about that? Uh, I would agree in, the, in that I'm pretty sceptical about many of these funds as well. There are very, very few in the sector that we would use. There is an argument in terms of returns. Firstly, as, as, as I mentioned, they're quite often correlated to equity markets, where, where they give positive returns often that they're sort of cash-like returns anyway, but with much higher charges. And, and a number of these funds also include performance fees. And some of the performance fee benchmarks are incredibly low. So so you're looking to beat sort of LIBOR rates, which are 0.something-something. So effectively, you could almost have a building society savings account, which would earn a big enough return to earn a performance fee. Right. So yes, they can have a place, but you really need to be selective in terms of the funds that you're looking at in, in, in the sector. So we, we've had a look at a few um, as part of this piece. And two of them, which were around in 2009, so are good ones to look at, are Newton Real Return and Standard Life Gars. Now, those both did hold up in 2008 and 2009 when we had markets tanking around the world. So so kind of did their job in that sense. 
Well, what do you think of Newton Real Return, Pat? Yeah, the, the, these are the big two in the sector. They're the two that have been around the longest. They're the two that are most established. And and, and I, I would expect they're the two largest funds, certainly the Standard Life one anyway. Um, Newton Real Return, we, we have and we do use with our clients. It is a multi-asset fund. It's not trying to be any anything clever. It's not trying to do something that people won't understand. It's a very diversified multi-asset fund, which, yes, it will have periods when it falls backwards. And, and we've seen that in recent weeks. But actually, its overall track record is, is very strong. It's very consistent. And I think in every year bar one, it's, it's given a positive return. So 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 it certainly does does the job. And uh, someone said to me that actually, of, of all of them, this is a bit more focused on equities. It's slightly higher up the risk scale than some of the others. Do you think that's true? It, it is because it's not using the hedging techniques. So, so it is a multi-asset fund. If equity markets take a dive, as we've seen them do, the fund will come down. And, and we've seen that happen as well. So I, w- I would agree with that. But the flip side of that is it's doing something that people can see clearly and people can understand as well. Yeah, because on the flip side, Standard Life Gars uses it's something like over 200 strategies, isn't it? And it's kind of a mix of derivatives and currency calls. So in terms of something, if you want a fund where you really understand everything that's going on in it, that might not be one for you. If you want to pick a fund that you really understand it, that's probably not one for you. Um, it's it's a very large, it's a very successful fund. It's a very popular fund. It's a fund, again, that we've used with our clients and we have clients in it. But as, as you say, that, that it uses lots of different techniques. And most investors probably who have invested it probably don't really understand what they've invested in. They're looking at the, the bottom line numbers and, and they've stacked up pretty well over the years. Okay. Now, another option, if you're trying to think of funds to protect your capital, is actually just to go with a defensive fund manager or a manager who you really trust, Um, and mainly one who actually invests mainly in equities, but is on the defensive side. And so we spoke to one commentator who said he liked pessimists or contrarian cautious investors. So what, what do you think about that concept, Pat, of actually just going with a defensive manager rather than a particular sector? I think the starting point in in terms of trying to manage volatility is is asset allocation. It, it it isn't a fund. It's what's the right mix of assets for you and the risk you're willing to take. Now within that, there'll be individual funds which are more defensive than others. Obviously, the multi-asset range of funds that those in the sort of twenty to sixty percent shares, for example, will by their very nature, have a range of different asset classes. In terms of individual managers, I would agree with with the comments that are made there in the sense of too many people jump into stock markets when they're peaking, they jump out when they're falling. And we're seeing a lot of people now looking at volatile stock markets. We're looking at absolute return funds. In the ideal world, they should have been looking at this back in April and May last year, but really they haven't been. And people now are more concerned that markets have come down a fair bit and they're concerned that they're going to fall further. So they're looking to protect themselves now. It's too late. <laughs> it, 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 well, it would have been nice if, if people were looking to that in, in, in April and May last year. Yeah, well, we might come back to that a little bit at the end, thinking about strategies and what you should be doing with with the bit of your portfolio that's fallen and, and with versus new money. But just sticking with the defensive managers and some of the big names of people like Troy Trojan and Carl Stick at Rathbones, although that fund arguably a bit less defensive potentially or has fallen further in the past. I mean, are there sectors where these managers are all concentrated in or is this quite subjective? Yeah, I mean, if you look at defensive, I, I mean, Carl Stick is, is a great example. Yeah, Yes, there was a period a number of years back when it fell, but actually it Since stands, then, it's been it stands very impressive, up very well. Yeah. And there, there's a real, real strong focus on uh, capital protection and managing risks. And if, you, if you're investing in many of the sort of mainstream core equity income or global equity income funds, many of those are relatively defensive. 
Or you can look at managers, a perfect example of, of a manager who stands up very well in difficult times is Terry Smith in, in the Fundsmith Equity Fund. And if you look at the performance of that, even when markets are falling, it's very, very consistent and stands up really, really well. And is that just by investing in stocks like counter-cyclicals that people will always buy no matter what happens? Or it, it's, it's investing in very, very good quality companies that, that, that keep producing earnings year in, year out. Okay. I mean, are there any other open-ended funds, sectors things to think about if you're if you're wanting to protect capital it's, it's really the mix of funds if you're looking to do that so rather than having everything in equities you diversify that by having money in fixed interest in property cash holdings as well and potentially looking at things like absolute return and, and it really is getting the right mix of assets okay so th- there we've kind of gone over some open-ended funds now moving on to investment trusts because uh, there are some really good options here as well and Leonora are there any immediate obvious benefits to choosing the trust structure over open-ended in this context? Yeah um, I think the main benefit is um, an investment trust um, has um, a kind of like a, a set number of shares and um, you can't redeem your money which maybe doesn't seem so good for the investor um, at first glance but what it actually means is when things get let's say when loads of people get panicky they sell their shares in the secondary market to another investor if they can do that they don't go to the fund manager and ask for their money back forcing the fund manager to sell investments in the funds to meet these investor redemptions and effectively having to go and sell assets at probably the worst time to sell them e.g the manager can take a long-term view and sometimes um you know a long-term fund manager can make you know fantastic money out of perhaps buying investments when it's really choppy and then waiting, you know, till, till, till they really grow and, you know, when markets are doing well and selling them. Um, so having a closing fund, A, means, um, you know, managers not pressured at bad times and also means you can take a long-term view, which is, you know, one of the key things to, to investing um, in, in assets like equities. And do you think things like the revenue reserve from an income perspective are an argument for trusts here? Can be. I mean, if if um, if the market volatility, as the immediate effect of market volatility is a share price, um, revenue comes from, I suppose, underlying holdings and how they're performing. But let's say certainly in periods of perhaps economic difficulty or difficulty for an individual company that you know perhaps goes and cuts its dividend. Um, what it means is, um, you know, if if the underlying companies in one year don't pay out as much, the investment trust has got um, a kind of like a stash in its reserve. It can maintain or even continue raising the dividends when companies are being ropey, uh, whether that's for reasons of market volatility, economics or, you know, intrinsic issues with the um, individual company. Okay, so are there any kind of clear winners from the investment trust space when it comes to holding on to their capital? In terms of protecting downside now, yes. um, there's not a targeted absolute return sector like of open-ended funds, but there's a few um, investment trusts which um, used to be classified as global funds, but some of which have now been put into the new AIC flexible sector that are known for preserving wealth. Now, one of these that's been really successful is called um, RIT Capital Partners. We count it among our IC Top 100 funds. It's basically a multi-asset uh, trust. It's got a lot in equities, that's the main portion, but it also offers exposure to um, unquoted companies and it has exposure to assets like hedge funds 
and private equity, which are not necessarily as correlated to the pattern of um, equity markets. And um, if you look at its annual returns, which is a good way to um, assess a fund's volatility, in particularly bad years, maybe like 2008, it's um, both the share price and NAV have gone down a lot less than um, big broad indices like the FTSE All Show, FTSE All World. So it's it's, it's defensive, yes, in, in bad times. Okay. And in fact, um, in, in the feature, we do take a look at the trusts which have fallen much less than the MSCI World and other trusts, and then those which have outperformed. And it's, it is a clear pattern, isn't it, that if you have a very defensive trust, you know, it will fall less, but then when the markets rise, what you can't expect is for it to rise no, as well. No, but you know, that's not <laughs> Which the would be unfair. Yeah, I mean, if that. you want something, you know, a high growth company, then I don't know, go and buy, you know, smaller companies or something, you know, uh, not, yeah. not one of these. And so another trust that was mentioned um, in this feature is Capital Gearing. And that's the only investment company managed by Capital Gearing Asset Management, which also has five absolute and real return funds. So it's obviously got a bit of a niche there or expertise. Now, that trust has a very tight discount policy or a very strict discount policy. Now, what does that mean, Leonora, and why is that a good thing? Yeah, uh, when a, an investment trust has a discount policy, what it means is, I guess in this article, it's an investment objective. It has a policy whereby, typically, if it's discount to net asset value, that is, um, you know, the, the share price relative to the assets, if it falls below a certain level they will start taking some sort of action to bring it in. The typical way to do this is to buy back shares. um, There are other techniques that um, trusts use over time. Now, the purpose of it is, I mean, it doesn't always work, but it certainly gives investors confidence, which can can work in itself. Uh, And I think what it means is you can be a bit more confident. If it is at a discount, it goes out to a discount, it won't go out much more because they are taking some sort of action like buying back shares so it should contain it or bring it in. If a trust doesn't have that kind of policy, then you know you see a trust in a discount, it might go out to an even wider one and you know nothing will be done to try and stop it. But what I think what I'd emphasize is it's not a guarantee, it's you know it's not a fail safe. You can buy back shares, you can try and do things which can help, but you know, it is um it's a possibility it might not help. Yeah. The flip side to talking about bear markets or volatile markets are on the one hand it's unnerving and you want to protect your capital on the other hand people argue that you know it's time to buy things when everything is cheap i'll quote from jason holland's managing director at tilney best of Best, who says it's not impossible to second guess for sure when a market's peaked or bottomed but what we do know is that share valuations are a whole lot more attractive now than they have been for some time and goes on to say you know the the simple rule of investing is you buy when markets are weak and you sell when they're high um so pat what do you think is is that far too bullish or is this the time to pick up some good no it's, it's, it's very sensible ideally you want to buy when it's cheap and sell when it's high the reality is time in the markets is, is incredibly difficult and many people get it the wrong way around they, they buy when sentiment is very positive when markets have already done well and they sell out when when they get concerned in word after they've already fallen so the, the words are sensible ones the reality is is a little bit more difficult than that mm. so there, there are different ways and approaches that people can address that an obvious one in, in terms of market timing is is if you're investing, certainly if you're investing in something that's, that's more speculative and more, more volatile, is, is to put regular premiums in because that way at least you're not worried about 
the fact that the investment values might fall because you simply buy cheaper the following month. Right. So that kind of just investing regularly is pound cost averaging. Is this yeah. where this comes in? Yeah, exactly. And and if, if if the investments go up, great. If they go down, we'll find you buy it cheaper the next month. Okay. But but with all these things, what what you need to do is, is to take a long term approach. If you're investing in markets, you have to accept that there's going to be some volatility. You're going to have to accept there are times when when it's going to fall in value. And so you need to keep calm. You need to keep rational. You need to take a long term approach. And if there are big fallbacks, rather than looking at to to bail out. It could be opportunity to put, to put more money in. Yeah, I, I think you touched on this earlier, and, and that's something that we pick up on in, in this feature. But is this idea that what you shouldn't be doing is taking money out of your investments, which have fallen a really long way, and suddenly putting it into a very defensive fund, um, that maybe what you need to be doing is thinking ahead in terms of the next period of volatility and maybe putting new money into defensive funds, but sticking with those things that have fallen a long way because if you bail out of them, you're never going to make that back. Do you think there's a distinction here between what you do with the money you already have invested and what you do with any new money that you might want to invest? Yeah, the the, the starting point is to make sure that your portfolio is set up in the right way for you. Now, if markets take a dive and and you're having sleepless nights and, and you're feeling very uncomfortable with it, there might be an argument in that case to say, actually, take some money out of equities, even though you're selling potentially at what's, what's the wrong time. The right approach is to make sure your portfolio is set up correctly in the first place, be willing and able to accept that markets will fall. And when they do, not panic, not get concerned. And as as, as you say, potentially use that as an opportunity to, to buy some more, rebalance your portfolio, take area money out of areas that have performed well and put it into areas that perform not so well. So if there was an area that you wanted to buy, where's the value then in in terms of the world? Is it Europe, do you think, or is it... Oh, if only we knew. If only we knew. You you can say where the value is. I mean, the value is probably, in in the long term, in things like emerging markets, it's in things like energy stocks, it's in things like banks, but they're all very, very risky. Whether we're going to see a bounce back in the next day, week, month, year, five years, ten years don't know the answer but those those things are cheap but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the best performers all right well thanks that's helpful stuff and now we're going to move on to technology so we've had a look at the Allianz technology trust this week and technology is an interesting sector when it comes to bear markets it's had a great time over the past few years and has soared but every every time we get a period of volatility people get unnerved um, in sectors like this so it's been quite hard hit since the start of the year and this fund manager, Walter Price, um, has been taking that on board and he's been quite significantly de-risking his portfolio. So he's been moving out of stocks like Amazon and Facebook and generally the whole area of his portfolio that's dedicated to very high growth, the very exciting kind of tech names of tomorrow in favour of some of those older dividend paying stocks like Microsoft and Apple. Um, and this is quite interesting because last year, all the talk uh, around technology was about these the new stocks and big data and the Internet of Things and all of these new companies that we might not have heard of before, but were going to be kind of astronomical growers, I guess. And um, he's now saying those are just looking a bit scary in terms of they've fallen a long way. And what I'm going to do is shift out of that and move into these reliable dividend payers. Um, so, Leonora, you've, you've looked at this trust in the past, I mean, how similar does does that line sound to the kind of views he's expressed over the last couple of years? Well, it's slightly different because um, I, I went over to see him about 18 months ago. And um, I mean, he said he said the fund is a bias towards high growth, uh, high multiple 
companies. And, you know, he was looking, uh, you know, for, for, for these things that would um, hopefully, you know, deliver beyond the stalwarts like Microsoft and Apple. I think he sees rejigging it now. He's obviously not completely, you know, he's not completely no. changed it. You know, he's still got some of these things. Yes, yeah, in terms of themes, um, I mean, some of them are the same. Um, he still seems to like cyber security, which he did then. But at individual company level, you know, he's moving things around a bit. I think you said in the article um, he's been moving away from FireEye mm. and... Um, uh, or certainly reducing Palo Alto networks. Yeah, both of which are tech. Yeah. I mean, cyber yeah. security, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, they, fi- they do firewall. Whereas when I went to see him, you know, he'd been putting money into um, Palo Alto because he liked that. So I, th- I think the point is, you know, maybe long-term themes such as cyber security aren't going to go. But, the you know, fund manager doesn't look just at themes. He does look at, you know, individual companies and a lot of managers would claim that they look at only that and not the themes. So, you know, while he maybe likes themes, you know, that's the point of having an active manager. He can pick and choose the good companies. So, yes, he maybe likes cybersecurity. But, you know, if um, Palo Alto FireEye aren't ideal, then, you know, he'll get rid of them. So, yeah, and that, I think that's yeah. an interesting point, mm. but particularly when it comes to the, um, the fang stocks of Facebook, Apple, Netflix and Google, all stocks that, that he likes, but is saying... I'm selling these down and hoping to buy them back when valuations recover. So, yes, I think this probably is a sign of a manager. Very active portfolio strategy, yeah. Exactly. And his big themes now are, as you said, cybersecurity, very interested in driverless cars um, and also virtual reality. Mm, new one, I think. But um, yes, yeah. but saying they seem to, I, I also, um, I was looking at uh, Polar Capital Technology recently as well and um, seem to be quite keen on that there. So that seems to be one that they're um, yeah. uh, looking at as of late. Well, sounds so, very futuristic, but apparently mm. not so futuristic. I mean, Pat, what do you think of the tech sector generally? Does it excite you? Do you think... Good area now, or just too scary? Exciter is probably the wrong word, but I mean, <laughs> a, a lot of people, when they think about technology, go back to the days of the boom and bust, the late nineties and early two thousands, and, and so the starting point to say is that technology funds today are totally, totally different to the funds back then. Back then, there were lots of sort of dot com companies who were starting up two men in a shed deciding to play around with the computer a little bit. But actually now technology funds are made of proper companies, sustainable businesses that have proven that they can deliver consistent results. Um, last year was very positive for technology. Some of the stocks, I mean, you mentioned the FANG stocks did, did particularly well. Um, this year we've seen a, a sell-off um, and I think a general technology managers and, and wider scale managers, particularly US fund managers as well, have become more cautious. Um, technology stocks tend to be quite heavily correlated to the global economy and there are concerns about where the global economy is going going forwards um, and as a result of that what you're finding is is that many of the managers are looking at the proven technology stocks those that have been around those that deliver year in year out rather than some some of the newer companies who are perhaps starting on that road rather than a long way already down it. Something like technology then, which is high risk and can be an appealing, kind of exciting area. How should investors think about approaching something like that within their portfolios if they do want to allocate 
to something a bit higher risk. Yeah, I mean, our, our approach is, is we don't actually give any specific allocation to technology. Um, our view is that investors will have exposure to technology stocks through mainstream stock, uh, funds that they hold anyway. Um, a good example is the AXA Farmington American Growth Fund. It's a fund we like. It's, it, as the name suggests, it's very growth orientated. It will tend to have somewhere in the region of 20 25% in technology stocks. Um, so if you're investing in those type of funds, we'd ask the question, do you need additional technology exposure alongside that? I see. So just check if you're not doubling up. Exactly. And I, I would add in our IC Top 100 funds, think Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, Global Growth Fund, but around a quarter of its assets <laughs> in um, tech. So uh, again, good example of yeah, not getting overexposed in the closed-end sector. Okay, so when thinking about allocating, just make sure you know what you already have. Yeah, and, and that goes across all specialist sectors as well, whether that's tech, whether that's healthcare, whether it's financials or, or, or whatever. Okay. And so just finally, we're moving to ETFs and bond ETFs specifically. So this has been an area which has been a bit underserved by ETFs in the past, and that's because they're slightly more complicated to put together. Um, and the, the demand has just maybe not been there or not been as strong as for equities. But recently, we've seen a ton of launches and price cuts in this area. And State Street um, this week listed 11 new fixed income ETFs on the London Stock Exchange, just followed by Vanguard days later, who listed more. And that's followed by price cuts at Lixor. So it's been quite a kind of concentrated area of activity, which is interesting and maybe a sign that volatility across the market is driving investors into bonds or looking for something a bit safer across all asset classes. Pat, I mean, do you think that is the reason? Are we seeing more appetite for bonds um, amid this kind of market chaos? Uh, we're, 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 we're twofold. We're, we're seeing uh, more interest in ETFs to start with, which is why providers are launching more products. In terms of fixed interests, you only need to go back a few months and, and there was a lot of concern that fixed interest was overpriced, that there were liquidity issues and, and people were worried about getting exposure to fixed interest. A couple of months on, the markets take a bit of a dive and suddenly we've reversed that and people now are worried about equity markets again and looking for security. The, the, the general mood amongst managers seems to be fairly positive in terms of fixed interest now on the basis that it doesn't look like interest rates are going to rise anytime soon. In fact, they may go down before they go up. And, and so, yes, there is more investor interest coming back into into fixed interest and, and managers generally are more bullish about it as, as, a, as an asset class. Do you have a view on what the best way to access bonds via funds is? We do have a view, yes. Um, <laughs> we will almost... Um, with every client have some exposure to fixed interest in their portfolios. Our, our approach is very much one based on asset allocation. We don't pretend to know which area of fixed interest is going to outperform another. There, there, there's a lot going on in that market. There, there, there's a lot of potential risks in that market, which which probably you wouldn't normally expect from fixed interest. Um, and so we would tend to get exposure through the strategic bond funds, uh, where we effectively are passing the underlying asset allocation to the individual managers. And that's because uh, they can move around the different types of bonds. Exactly right. Yeah. So, so we're looking at managers who we think are, are good quality managers who have got um, good track records and have, as you say, have the flexibility to move and hopefully avoid the areas where, where there may be any particular fallout. Okay. And just finally, just on ETFs in general, how do you feel about those? Do you think there are issues with investing with ETFs? 
We do use passive investments in client portfolios. We tend to use tracker funds rather than ETFs. Um, there, there, there are a few reasons behind that. One is um, we don't need real-time dealing with what we do. We, we, we're not that tactical in, in that we're, we're looking into day dealing. The platforms that we use often have access to trackers, don't have access to ETFs as well. So we don't want to be holding separate client investments away from, from, the, from their main uh, portfolios. Where people do use ETFs, we would certainly avoid any of the synthetic ETFs. We would want ETFs that are actually holding the underlying assets. But as, as, as a vehicle, we've no great issue with them. But we just think for what we do, that trackers are, are a better option for us and for our clients. Okay, well, I think that's probably all we've got time for. So more on bear markets from the perspective of technology, open, closed-ended funds and bond ETFs. Uh, Have a look at the magazine. And otherwise, it just remains for me to thank Leonora Walters and Patrick Connolly and say have a good weekend. (laughs) 